this is our, for those who are joining us first time here. This is our week daily session after Salat al-Asr, uh, where we cover a beautiful book by Abdullah bin Barak, rahimullah, one of the earliest ulama, uh, scholars of hadith, um, who was an ustad of Imam Bukhari as well. <clears throat> and he was a renowned, not only a scholar, renowned uh, abid, worshipper, a renowned mujahid as well. And so his book, one of the first books written on this topic called Kitab al-Zuhdi wal-Raqa'iq, uh, the book that deals with uh, those things that will soften the heart and will create a distance from the materialistic things of this world. So this is a very nice um, copy. Um, it's translated by Aisha Beuli and printed by White Thread Press. And I'm going through this book. There are um, a, a lot of chapter headings. And under each chapter heading, he has the statements of the uh, Salaf. So the Salaf, if he's, according to him, the Salaf meaning these are either the statements of Sahaba or the statements of Tabi'un uh, on, on different topics. So... Uh, for the past uh, 20 days, alhamdulillah, we've been covering various sections. Yesterday, we covered reflection and consideration. And um, we, I was able to just go through maybe three, four, three, four statements. There are about maybe 30 to 40 statements and beautiful sayings under each topic. Um, so I think they had copies of it in the bookstore. I'm, I'm possibly it's run out. But if they do, definitely... You can get, a, get an hour, get afterwards, but it's a great book for us to go through um, because the world that we live in, we're always being, speaking about different things. We rarely get a chance to speak about this. When we speak about zuhud, although I'm not there, we're not there, but by speaking about zuhud, eventually the desire of creating zuhud within ourselves comes in. And the desire that, you know, I need to seriously start leading my life in a certain spe specific manner starts coming in. Um, that's why... I think it's very good that we constantly be reading books like this, inshallah. Brothers, inshallah, please come close, huh? come forward. And anyone who's coming afterwards also, we can have one of the, uh, just whoever comes later on, just push them forward now, huh? please. Inshallah, we want to make a habit anytime we're coming to the masjid, that we sit as close as possible. Jazakallah khairan. So I'm going to read a few, uh, a few more statements from, uh, from the reflection and consideration before I move on to the next topic. Ibrahim said, the Prophet, I was informed that the Prophet ﷺ was never seen leaving the water closet, bathroom, without performing ablution after. Um, Abdullah ibn Abbas narrated, the Messenger of Allah ﷺ came out after answering the call of nature, using the restroom, and then performed tayammum using sand, purification using sand. So I said to him, فَأَقُولِ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِنَّ الْمَاءَ مِنْكَ قَرِيبٌ I said, oh, Messenger of Allah, the water is close to you. Why are you doing tayammum? Why are you using the, the sand to purify yourself when you have water not too far away? And he replied, وَمَا يُدْرِينِي لَعَلِّي لَا أَبْلُغُهُ How would I know? Maybe I will not be able to reach it. So what do we learn from here? Two things. One is that the Prophet ﷺ would always be in a state of tahara. Uh, and it was not only him, it was, it was the companions. Lam yara ibn Umar qattu jalisan illa tahiran. Nafi'ah says, Abdullah ibn Umar was never seen except for in a state of purity. 
So that's one thing we learned. The Sahaba, the Rasulullah the Sahaba and the Salaf. I've shared with you a story in, in other talks of a great scholar, um, Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda, rahimahumullah. It was, um, uh, you know, and Mufti Mahmoud al-Hassan, rahimahumullah, from, uh, with the lead Mufti of the Darul Ulum for, uh, for decades and decades. So the meeting took place with them in Medina Munawwara. And uh, the time between Asr and Maghrib, the time had come near Maghrib Salah. So one of those, one, uh, one of the uh, students who was attending to the needs of the Shaykh um, said, Shaykh, you know, there's a few minutes left, 10, 15 minutes left for Maghrib. Should we freshen up, do wudu, and then we we'll head out to the haram? So he said, when he asked him that do you need to freshen up, he said, how could you ever expect me to be sitting in front of a scholar without being in a state of wudu? Why would you ever say, suggest that should I do wudu before maghrib? I would never sit in front of a scholar. Both are extremely well-known muftis of their entire countries. Not regions, countries. Right? And, but look at the respect for one another, for ilm. It's not just about one another, it's about respect for ilm. That if you sit with someone who has knowledge, then the least we should be is that we should be in a state of purity and wudu. So this is what we see from Rasulullah in the companions. Now, why? When a person is in a state of wudu, he is protected from the attacks of shaitan. He's protected from the, much more protected from the attacks of shaitan. The Prophet said in a hadith, only a believer will be able to remain steadfast on wudu. This is the sign of iman, that a person is always in the state of wudu. If I remember correctly, this was about going, doing wudu before going to bed. That a person should go, do wudu before going to bed, even if he's going to go to sleep and break his wudu. But still we should do wudu before going to bed. And at that time was mentioned that it is a sign of a believer that he will always be in a state of wudu. What's so amazing, one scholar one day mentioned, he said, when you come home, if you didn't finish up your witr or you didn't finish up your Aisha prayer, you know, it starts getting a little bit hard. You're tired, came back from a walima late night, and you have to pray your Aisha or pray your witr. Sometimes it gets a little bit difficult. But what he, what, he, what he pointed out, what I thought was just beautiful, he said, the problem is not usually praying salah. It's usually doing wudu. He's, and I was like, wow, that's, that's so true. That is real. He's like, you know, there's something different about wudu that shaitan makes it even more difficult. Why? How long does it take us to do wudu? Seriously, we have, mashallah, warm water in every floor of our house, right? Available. Takes you not more than one minute if you do it just fara'id. Why should it be? so hard but shaitan makes it so hard and the nafs that nah you don't have to go to the well water you don't have to get cold freezing water nothing it's nice warm water available in the, in the warmth of your bedroom in the warmth of your uh, hallway bathroom no reason but shaitan makes it so difficult so he was suggesting that a person should do wudu before returning home even if you don't if you don't have time to pray in the banquet hall or the airport or whatever but at least be in the state of wudu before you go home because that's the hardest thing if you're in a state of wudu, inshallah, you'll still manage to pray. But if you don't have wudu, then shaitan will make it much more challenging. Why is it much more challenging? Because this is your defense against shaitan. He knows that people who are in the state of wudu, he cannot do what he usually does to others. This is why we're being encouraged that even before we go to bed, perform wudu. The other thing we see here that Rasulullah is not even waiting to finish up the bathroom uh, and to walk towards a place of wudu, instead he's doing tayammum. And when the companion says, why are you doing tayammum? He says, what if I don't make it out there? Meaning, I do not want the time that from, from the place I relieved myself to the place I'm going for wudu, maybe five minute walk, 
I don't, I don't want to uh, put myself in a position where I'm not in a state of wudu for those five minutes. What if I get sick? What if Malakul Maut comes? What if the angel of death comes? You don't want it to come in a state that we're not in the most purified state. Subhanallah. So this is uh, something I saw. You know, sunnah, beloved brothers. May Allah make you and I followers of sunnahs. Say ameen. Every single day, let's make this dua. Every salah. Ya Allah, make me a follower of sunnah. Many brothers come say, how do I become a better Muslim? How can I become a better student? How can I become a true muttaqi person? And the answer to all of those things is sunnah. The closer you are to sunnah, the closer, the closer you are to paradise. No matter who says what, our life, every aspect of it, the closer it mirrors the Rasulullah life, the higher chance we have of gaining Allah's pleasure and paradise. Say, if you claim to love Allah, then you follow me. Oh Muhammad tell them, if you claim to love Allah, then follow me. Allah will love you. And Allah will forgive your sins. So Allah will love us if we follow the sunnah and Allah will forgive us if we follow the sunnah. What else is left? That's all we need. So I was saying one time I was visit. I went to one community in Canada and I hadn't seen a scholar for a long time. So I met him in the wudu area of the masjid. I said, Assalamu alaikum, Shaykh. And he was sitting there to do wudu, mashaAllah, in the sunnah method. Sunnah method, not the way we sit, you know? You know the sunnah method. The way, what do you say? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, what do you say in English? Squatting, squatting right? Exactly. Squatting. Squatting on the, on the raised platform. Raised platform. Squatting there. And so I said, Assalamu alaikum. He quickly put his hands on the marble or, you know, tile and he did tayammum. And then he looked at me and said, Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah wa Because why? Assalam is the name of Allah. You don't want to take the name of Allah without being in the state of purity. This is the etiquette we saw during the time of Rasulullah That even engaging with someone saying, Wa alaikum assalam, we should, you're saying Allah's name, you want to be in the state of purity. MashaAllah. There are people alive like that around. Alhamdulillah. The world hasn't fallen to that level where you cannot see such people. And that is why it's so important. If you find it, if you look for it, you'll find it. If you look for them, you'll find it. Non-stop people say, how am I supposed to find someone that you say a scholar or alim rabbani? If you look for one and you're really in need for one, you'll find it. If you ask me right now, can you give me a name, a number of a dermatologist? I won't have one. But if someone, for example, really needs one, you know, give us 10 minutes, we'll find someone, a Muslim dermatologist, right? We'll find it. Give you an example. I have no need for it, so I don't know one. But if there's a need arises, la qadr Allah, if you need someone or I need someone, alhamdulillah, we'll find it. So if a person says, I have a need for an alim rabbani shaykh, he will find it. Right now, we never thought we ever need one. That's why we don't have anyone. That's why we don't know anyone. We say, where are they? You're not looking for it. Once you start looking for it, you will find them. You may have to travel a little bit, but definitely you will find them. Humayd ibn Hilal narrated that Mutarrif said, إِنَّمَا وَجَدْتُ الْعَبْدَ مُلْقًا بَيْنَ رَبِّهِ تَعَالَى وَبَيْنَ الشَّيْطَانِ I find that the slave is cast down between his Almighty Lord and Shaytan. I find that the slave is cast down between his Almighty Lord and Shaytan. If his Lord saves him, delivers him, he is saved. And if his Lord leaves him for Shaytan, Shaytan takes him away. This morning, uh, 
was after Salat al-Fajr, when we have the short khatira of the first 20 days with Mufi Minhaj, he was reading from Al-Hikam of Ibn Ata Allah Al-Askandari, Rahimahullah. And uh, one of the beautiful today's, I mean, every, every Friday, every, I mean, sorry, every Fajr, it's five minutes. If you haven't got a chance to listen to it, you know, after Atikaf, inshallah, you should listen to it. Powerful statements. This is a beautiful book of Ibn Ata Allah Al-Askandari. And um, Ibn Ata Allah Al-Askandari, his book called Al-Hikam. So they're small, short, powerful, packed pieces of wisdom, right? words of wisdom. So today's statement was that if a person know very well that um, you know, uh, shaitan is there who has, uh, who, who's, never, who's never giving up, who never rests for a moment in trying to deceive us. Understand that. We all know that. We should know that. Shaitan is always there continuously working to deceive us. But if you should know this, if you know this, which we do, then ensure that we do not become heedless of the one who also controls us by our forelock. Who is that? Allah. So do not turn your attention away from that Allah who has control over your forehead, your whole body, thinking about shaitan. The only one who can save us from the grasp of shaitan is Allah. If shaitan is after us, if shaitan is huge, if shaitan is deceptive, if shaitan is, comes, flows through our blood, if shaitan comes through various ways in the form of our children, in the form of our spouses, in the form of our husbands, in the form of our wives, in the form of our parents, comes in the form of our friends, he comes in so many different ways and tries to deceive us. Understand that someone who is more powerful than him is the one who created him, and the one who created I, the one who created you, shaitan. Uh, I mean, Allah Azza wa Jalla who created shaitan, created me, created all of us. So when a person for a moment even turns his attention away from Allah, then he will lose to shaitan. So it's like a child comes to the father or comes to the mother and says, uh, you know, my older sibling is, or younger sibling, someone, sometimes younger, sometimes older, is bothering me. He pulled my hair, he, he, he bit me, did this and that. So they come running to the parent. And as long as they are begging the parent, and gaining the attention of the parent, the parent will handle the situation. But if the child walks away from the parent, back to the toys, what do you think is going to happen? The parent's going to think, I guess you sorted it out. It's not that big of an issue. If it was a really big issue, you would stay here crying and would not let me go until I resolve the issue. To Allah belongs the best of examples. Nothing of this creation can be compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I want to just simply paint a scenario. That if you walk away from the parent, the child walks away, what should we understand? Case resolved. And then two minutes later, you come back. So our case is never resolved. Shaitan is always on our back, constantly, every day, in masjid, outside of masjid, in Ramadan, outside of Ramadan. He's trying to deceive me. He's trying to deceive you. And he's quite successful, frankly speaking, in so many ways. If we, if we, if we are able to band-aid ourselves from one end, he punctures from another end. So alhamdulillah, after a long time, you got to start praying your five daily salah, but then he'll, he'll get you through something else, get you involved in some other sin. You stop one sin, he'll get you another sin. That's how it is. He's continuously working to see how he can attack us and destroy us. If we got a halal income, we had haram income, now we got halal, then he'll stop us from reading Quran. We weren't reading Quran, we started reading Quran, now he'll make us into speaking ill to our parents. Left and right. So we have no option but to be constantly begging Allah. Every day, all day, not to turn our back to him and say, I got it. Because as soon as we turn our back and say, I got it, he will devour us. Iblis will devour us. The only way to save ourselves from that is to be Constantly begging Allah So I find a slave is cast down between Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? 
I find the slave cast down between his Almighty Allah, uh, Almighty Allah and Shaitan. If his Lord saves him or delivers him, he is saved. And if his Lord leaves him for Shaitan, Shaitan takes him away. Inshallah. So this is the section that we just completed uh, called Reflection and Consideration. I'm going to move on to the next one. Fleeing from sins and transgression. Fleeing from sins and transgression. Ta'us narrated that Abdullah ibn Umar said, Ibn Adam khuliqa khatta' The son of Adam was created prone to mistakes unless Allah shows him mercy. This is part of who we are. Why have we come to Irtikaf? Because we are super pious people? No. Because I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We're here to detox ourselves, to repent, to beg Allah Azza wa We know if we stay at home, we won't be able to fully benefit from these beautiful, blessed 10 nights and 10 days. We also want to establish the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, the unneglected sunnah, always that he had of, of i'tikaf. But the idea of doing i'tikaf is not for only pious people, we may think, but rather it's for people like us who are sinners. Everyone is a sinner, except for a few who Allah has mercy that they don't commit major sins. Otherwise, majority are sinful. And so, if it's part of human beings to be sinful, it is definitely part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's nature to be forgiving. That's why we're such a great match. Servant and Lord. We come with sins, Allah comes with forgiveness. Asim rahimullah said, سَمِعْتُ الشَّقِيقَ بِنْ سَلَمَ يَقُولُ وَهُوَ سَاجِدٌ رَبِّقْ فِي اللِّي رَبِّقْ فِي اللِّي إِن تَحْفُ عَنِّي فَطَوْلٌ مِنْ قِبَلِكَ وَإِن تُعَذِّبْنِي تُعَذِّبْنِي غَيْرَ ظَالِمْ وَلَا مَسْبُوقٍ I heard Shaqiq ibn Salama say while he was prostrating, My Lord, my Lord, forgive me. My Lord, forgive me. You pardon me, then it is generosity from you. If you forgive me, then it's your generosity. You didn't need to forgive me. But if you've chosen to forgive me, it's out of your generosity. And if you punish me, you punish me without being unjust or premature. Subhanallah. Allahu Akbar. If you choose to punish me, I'm not going to say why. I'm not going to say you didn't give me a chance. I'm not going to say you did it more than I deserved. Because I am your servant. I have nothing to say. I, I, am, a, I am a servant, a slave that comes to you begging for forgiveness. But Allahu Akbar, this level of trust in Allah, that Allah would never do something that is oppressive. That Allah would never do something that is more than necessary. If he chooses to punish me, it's because I deserve it. If he chooses to punish me, it will only be in the amount that I deserve. But I will ask Allah not to give me what I deserve. Instead, I will ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to judge me based on his mercy and not by justice. Judge me based on your benevolence, not based on what I deserve. Right? But look at the adab here. Look at the adab and the etiquettes of speaking to Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Ya Allah... If you choose to punish me, then you're punishing me based on, uh, you know, justice, not zulm. And you're punishing me with regards to something after you've given me ample time to repent. This ulama have written that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not hold people accountable or doesn't punish people usually in the first instance. Usually when the thief is caught, it's not that he, he committed thievery in the first instance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them many, many chances. And it's true. I know so many people who come share with me their sins or problems now that is erupted into the family finding out and it's, the marriage is falling apart. I say, well, when was this? First time? No. First, Balki, I was warned. I, I got a warning signs. Someone found out. They told me, Baza job. I stop, stop. But I didn't. 
and the nafs and the shaitan kept on pulling me and now I'm at my third time fifth time sixth time and now it's all game over third strike you're out so this is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he usually doesn't give us first strike you're out he usually allows us to give a few chances to repent and when a person doesn't repent then that's when things start falling apart Acha, one more thing and if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want to benefit someone he says no I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get you at the end then he he never gets caught in this dunya you know, sometimes I say, people are lucky, man, they don't get caught. I tell this to the youngsters sometimes, they get caught doing something wrong. I say, listen, you're lucky that you got caught while you're 12 years old. Because if Allah did not want good for you, you would not be caught, and not even at the age of 72. And what would happen? The punishment would begin as soon as you go into the grave for 80 years of sin. This sin that you're doing right now, if you hadn't get caught now, you would get away with it throughout your whole life. And you would never get a chance to repent because we only usually repent when we get caught on things. And so if you didn't get caught, no one recognized that you were never thought of even repenting. And you would go into the grave thinking that you are in good shape when in reality Allah has stored up the whole dasar. The whole file is ready to be thrown at this individual. To say at the age of 12 you did this, at the age of 18 you did this, at the age of 25 you did this. How are you going to face all that? At least those people get caught earlier on. Alhamdulillah, this stops them from continuing on the path of sin. And they get sorted out here so that hopefully they don't have much to pay for in the akhirah. Ibn Adam Maqabari narrated that he has reached him that Isa ibn Maryam would say Ibn Adam إِذَا عَمِلْتَ الْحَسَنَةَ فَأَلُهُ عَنْهَا O son of Adam, when you do a good action, have faith فَإِنَّهَا عِنْدَ مَنْ لَا يُضَيْعُهَا As it is seen by the one who will not let it go waste إِنَّا لَا نُضِعُ أَجْرَ مَنْ أَحْسَنَ عَمَلًا Then he recited the verse we will not let the wage of the good doers go to waste. And if you were to do a good, if you were to do a commit a sin, if you do an evil deed, it should be constantly haunting you. So it means that if a person does some good deed, insan koi nek amal karle. Then you have to have this trust. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Even if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah is looking at it and Allah will not let it go down to waste. I don't mind no one else is seeing me, no one else is recognizing me, no one else is appreciating me, no one else is thanking me, no one else is giving me shabashi, no one else is saying, MashaAllah, great. Doesn't make a difference. Allah, the one who I did for, definitely has seen it. And if he's seen it, he will not allow it to go to waste. That's the main thing. Imagine you have a you know, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe let's say uh, uh, an owner of a of a of a of a, uh, uh, a restaurant or a store, and he's sitting in the back taking care of things. And you have an amana, you have an order, your own food order, for example. You went to go give. There's five, six windows, lines of people. You go there, you're trying to get the attention. Like you remember in Umrah and Hajj, hundreds of people trying to order the food, and you know the owner. So you're, you are trying to get the attention, you waited for so long, nothing's happening. No, your line is not moving, people are cutting in the line. Eventually you get in front, the teller is so busy taking orders, screaming from this side, this side, he's not able to attention. But the guy behind you, the, the one behind sitting the tellers, he's the owner of the business. And you know him. He makes eye contact with you. He nods, your, he, you show him your chitti, your paper, where you're ordering the food. He nods his head. I got it. And you put it there. Now you know, if you got an acknowledgement from the owner of the business, the owner of the restaurant, he's seeing you, you made eye contact, that's it. 
if he knows you, why would he allow that to go to waste? Although everyone around you is not giving you a space. No one's giving you attention. Even the tellers are so busy. But you can be rest assured that inshallah in 10, 10, 15 minutes your food will be ready. Simple example I'm giving you. That when you do a good deed, don't look at all the people around us whether they appreciate you or not, whether they recognize you or not, whether the tellers themselves, the, the gatekeepers of the masjids, the gatekeepers of the institutions, whether they recognize you. We're not doing it for them. As long as a person behind, the being behind, Allah Azza wa Jal, you've connected with him. And he's understood that you've done it for him. That's all you need to know. Once that order is placed with Allah Azza wa Jal, it will definitely return, you'll get the returns in terms of your hasanat in this world and the akhirah. And then when a person ends up sleeping and falling, Allah forbid, and commits a sin, then in that case, He said, let it haunt you. It should constantly haunt you. Baribat. That the sins that we have done, but have not sought forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, a person needs to definitely seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Haunt does not mean, my beloved friends, let me explain this. Haunt does not mean that we repent from something, we cried, we made it up to Allah and said, Ya Allah, I'm never doing this again. And you really didn't, five years down the line, ten years down the line. You've never turned back to that. It doesn't mean now every single time you're constantly just going back to that same sin. That's also not right. Because sometimes people, in their effort to repent, they end up falling into depression and despair. Because they're constantly thinking, what if Allah didn't forgive me? You can't think like that. If you have re properly repented, you should walk away with this conviction that Allah genuinely has forgiven me. And the sign of Allah's forgiveness is our life changes. That we don't go back towards those sins. Now some brothers may say, that I have genuinely repented for the past 10 Ramadans from certain sins. But I find myself after Ramadan, even in between Ramadan, going back to that. Let's ask ourselves, when you go back to that sin, in what state are you going back to that sin? Is it out of... Uh, is it out of audacity against Allah? Fearlessness that I don't care what Allah says or does. I just feel like I want to do this. And I will be proud about it. I will tell people about it. I will show, I'll put it on Instagram and social media that I'm doing this. Then in that case, truly if this person has not repented. On the other hand, if a person is what we call adat se majbur, he is simply addicted to something. Addiction is something we have to recognize. It's a genuine problem. You can repent all you want, but that might not if Allah, unless Allah wills, break your addiction. So a person may repent 10 times for 10 Ramadans, but keeps on going back to certain sins, then that does not necessarily mean you are not sincere in your tawbah. That does not necessarily mean that you are uh, unauthentic or you had crocodile tears. You knew your condition when you repented, and you also know your condition when you're slipping and falling. And when you're slipping and falling, if you say, Ya Allah, what should I do? It's a free fall. I have no control over myself. Like some people come and say, I feel like I'm possessed. I feel like there's something in me that will not allow me to look right, left, no, call anyone for help, just go and do XYZ sin. And it becomes so overwhelming. How do you handle that? That's like almost like a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a shaitan that's on top of her head. Am I saying that there's no sin in that? No, absolutely not. There is sin, of course, in there. But let's not tell ourselves that, oh, we were insincere in our forgiveness and we've never repented properly and our tawbah has not been accepted. Because that is only going to lead to what? To despair. And that's what shaitan ultimately wants us to do. To make us feel down, depressed, and feel like hopeless. And when he gets us to that, that's pretty much the last straw. Rasulullah <laughs> says, Indeed, only the absolute disbelievers are the ones who are, um, who are hopeless. A person who has, a, this is a sign of kufr. Kufr is a person who is, kafir is the one who says, there's no hope in Allah. Allah will never forgive me.
Mughira ibn Muqadish asked Hassan Abu Sa'id, what should we do in a gathering of people who relate to, who relate to us until our hearts are almost, almost sore out of happiness? You know, some people, mashallah, it's good, targheeb, encouraging words, encouraging words. He said, what, what should I do if I stand with people, sit with people who are always giving me encouraging words that you're going to get this, you're going to get this, you're going to get this, and get, that my heart is soaring out of happiness. It seems like I'm already in Jannah. So he replied, Ayyu al-Shaykh, Ayyu al-Shaykh, Innaka wallahi la'antashaba aqwaman yukhawifunaka hatta tudrika amnan khayrun laka min antashaba aqwaman yuaminunaka hatta talhaqa al-makhawif. He said, Shaykh, by Allah, it is better for you to keep the company of people who make you fear until you obtain security than you keep the company of people who make you feel safe until fear overcomes you. It is better for you to keep the company of the people who make you fear until you obtain security. Aman. Then keep the company of people who make you feel safe until fear overcomes you. What does this mean? That too much... Aman, discussion of targheeb, encouragement, rewards only without balancing it with takhweef, without balancing with the discussion of Jahannam, discussion of what happens if you don't do right, discussion of the sticks, and you only focus on the carrot, this can actually harm a person. Because our person begins to think that, you know what, I really don't need to do anything, everything is set. But you have to strike that balance. Notice in the Qur'an, Wherever you see the discussion of Jannah, almost always you will see the discussion of Jahannam. And flip side also, wherever you see the discussion of Jahannam, you will almost always find the discussion of Jannah. It works both ways, hot and cold water mixed together give you the perfect lukewarm water. You cannot have just one or the other. It will, be, it will not be usable, it, won't be har- it might even be harmful. So discussions only of Jannah or only of Jahannam are not necessarily the best. You have to mix it up. And ulama say, when we are young, we should focus on those things which will create fear within us because the shahwa and the lust is very strong when you're young. And it is the fear factor that may end up push a person away from falling into his temptations. As a person grows older, when the nafs becomes weaker, or at least the ability to follow on the nafs, wasawis and whisperings becomes weaker, then a person should focus more on the hope aspect, jannah aspect, mercy aspect, because we want to make sure we leave this world in a state that we are expecting great things from Allah and not constantly fearing that you know what is game over. Allah treats a person based on what He thinks of him. So we live at a time right now where bayans, lectures and talks are meant to be a feel-good type. That's what people, people like. People want to hear things that uh, not that they, want to, that they need to hear but they rather enjoy listening to. In which they are patted on the back, in which they are, uh, you know, uh, paraded around and said, mashallah, you're doing great, you're what you're doing, you don't keep up the status quo, you don't need to change, just maybe make a greater smile, <laughs> a bigger smile, that's about it, everything will be fine. And the real crux of the issue is when we're, we're neck deep in major sins, we, no one wants to talk about riba, no one wants to talk about pornography, no one wants to talk about subhanallah zina, no one wants to talk about liquor, no one wants to talk about cheating in business, no one wants to talk about being unfaithful to one's spouse, no one wants to talk about negligence in salah, no one wants to talk about being disrespectful to parents. These are the major things that will will destroy a person. But these are the, you know, the, the, uh, the truth that hurts, but people don't want to speak about it. would rather just speak about things that are very easy to handle and you don't require much change. Inshallah, in this 
beautiful i'tikaf opportunity that Allah has given you and I, we will get a chance to hopefully listen to both, both sides of the coin. Right? Be able to hear and just go through ayats of Jannah, ayats of Jahannam as well. Uh, and, and hopefully this will soft, soften the heart and increase us in our ability to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fully. Inshallah, we'll have um, uh, uh, a few announcements now, dhikr and dua. And um, we'll have a detailed, detailed uh, discussion on i'tikaf. We already had, first of all. On Sunday, we had a detailed i'tikaf workshop. How many of you attended? Can you raise your hand? Alhamdulillah. All right. So there's still maybe 20% that did not attend. Maybe those 20% are not doing i'tikaf, I'm not sure. But that was very necessary to go over that. We'll go over it again tonight the basic points and ground rules after the tafsir of uh, Mufti bin Hajj. Inshallah. Atakah brothers, mandatory session, huddle. Right? We'll come up here, we'll go over the, uh, the ground rules. This is, mashallah, this year, I presume, is going to be the largest atakah we've ever had. Interestingly, subhanAllah, I don't know why, but mashallah, it is. So, um, uh, which is great, but then we have to also make sure that we work together as a team to ensure all of us have the best um, experience. And so the best experience is going to come when we try to do what we, we came here for, which is disconnecting from creation and connecting with the Creator. Connection with the creation should only be on a limited basis. So we're attending the durus, we're listening attentively, we're, we're taking notes, we're allowing it to marinate in our minds and hearts, that's great. If we talk to one another, it should be really a very limited thing. So we want to ensure this year that we have absolutely no talking or phones in the main hall here and in the lobby. Both areas are going to be strictly quiet zone. I expect us all to act in a manner that is expected from each other, that we don't need to be told. Alhamdulillah, I'm seeing professionals, college students, business people, mashallah, adult, young adults. Alhamdulillah, everyone who's willing to give 10 days, you're obviously very serious. So let's help one another by just forcing ourselves to limit our conversations. If you want to sleep for more than 8 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, no problem. As long as you don't miss your salah. If you're very tired, sleep. But just don't talk. Right? Limit that. Just limit that. If we can all work on that, every single day, remind me, you remind each other. If you're asking a mas'ala, sure. If you are uh, wanting to learn something, sure. Right? But there's no need to, like, to, or to the extent we should train ourselves to say, what a beautiful day. You know what? I don't need to say that. I know I can see probably, but I can't feel it, but it looks like a nice day. Like we have to control our tongue right now. This is the biggest mujahada I need to work on, you need to work on, is that our tongue should only be used in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Encouraging towards good, forbidding from evil, or dhikr of Allah. That's it. We, are, we don't need to pass any even comments of any sort. The chai badi karake, chai badi You let your, your, your what you call, your taste buds speak to your brain about how the chai is. We don't need to comment on the chai. I know it's, I do this, you do this, we all do this. But that's what the mujahada is going to be. It's to limit the talk. Because once you start off from chai badi karake, then it might come to bivi badi karake. Huh? And then it'll go to somewhere else. The discussion might just go from chai to why to wife. And then oh brother, you're sitting in the house of Allah, you don't want to be making riba. Right? That's how it starts. So this is why it's best that we keep our tongue, inshallah, tight. Close our mouth as much as possible. Keep, our, keep the dhikr in your hand. If you don't have a tasbih counter, please get one from the bookstore here. Two dollars, one dollar. Get that one. Goal is every single day besides the bayan time, I'm going to be doing 
5,000, 10,000, 15,000. Put it yourself. Right? 15, 20,000 salawat istighfar I'm going to do. Because if you have this gold, I got to read this, then you won't be talking. And we're all goal oriented. Right? So we have to have goals. And inshallah, we'll have later on tonight, hopefully, I'll have sheets ready for you. Um, and these are uh, gold sheets. Gold sheets for all of us. I'm trying to get them in cardstock. So they're nicer. If I don't get them in cardstock by tonight, then I'll just print them on a normal printer paper. But it'll be for all of us, and you're going to be expected to fill it out. You're going to write your goals in there of how much you're going to do of each things, and then every single day, every man for himself is going to check mark, right? What are the things that? Um, okay, one second. So, the, yes, so I'll, ha- I'll have those sheets, inshallah, ta'ala, tonight there. Another few things is that do not come into the kitchen. Please, we ask everyone, the Atikaf brothers, do not enter the kitchen. Do not, there are tens of volunteers here. Please ask a volunteer if you need anything. And there are a few things that we should do least amount. That is eating, drinking, talking, uh, using the bathroom and other necessities. Use that. You do it as a necessity, but not as a luxury. So even eating, inshallah, we are going to eat as much as we need to just to keep ourselves, alhamdulillah, not hungry. Besides that, we are not going to uh, sit there extra time. So the more, as soon as you finish eating, please stand up. Right? Create a mahol that we're not sitting on dastarkhan. Dastarkhan, dastarkhan is a big problem. That's where all the ghafla comes in. That's where all the heedlessness in. I need all of us to create this environment. You can say, but you know, where am I going to relax? You relax 355 days of the year. Right now, this is the time that subhanAllah, you rela- learn how to relax while reading Qur'an. Learn how to relax while speaking to Allah. Who said don't relax? Relax through dhikr. Relax through dua. Relax through crying. Relax through taraweeh. Relax through tilawa. Relax through listening to the sessions. You have mashallah, ten, many sessions happening all day. So let's not waste time on the dastakhan inshallah and stand up as quickly as possible. So right now what we'll do is this here, um, uh, anyone th- uh, is on the right side here, uh, this hall here is only for 60 plus senior citizens, right? Uh, are, uh, will be accommodated here in the side prayer hall upstairs here. Everyone else, please, there are no exceptions. Everyone else, please go, d- go downstairs. You can see that's a small hall. We cannot fit 60 people there, right? It's only a few elders that we have, 60 plus, inshallah. This is reserved for them. It's difficult for them to go up and down the stairs. There's a bathroom that's near them. So we're going to reserve this for anyone who's 60 and above. You can take a spot here in the side prayer hall. The rest of us, inshallah, um, uh, uh, th- will be going downstairs. We have extended the boundary of the masjid this year. So the entire area is masjid, so there's enough space. Details of this, inshallah, will be covered after Taraweeh. So we head downstairs. Yeah. Inshallah, so I request all of our brothers, inshallah, we can make our way downstairs. Iftari is laid out. I will begin the dua here on the mic. Inshallah, you can join uh, the dua as you, as you are going downstairs, inshallah, so that uh, we can uh, make our iftar as quickly as possible. And then come back up. As soon as your iftar is done, come back up for Maghrib Salah. And spend your time in dua before Maghrib as well, Jamaat.
اللهم يا حي يا قيوم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وإسرافنا في أمرنا وثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وإسرافنا في أمرنا وثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا لا تزق قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب ربنا لا تجعلنا فتنة للقوم الظالمين ونجينا برحمتك من القوم الكافرين رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صغيرة رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صغيرة رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صغيرة لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنك من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنك من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنك من الظالمين اللهم يا حي يا قيوم إنا نسألك رضاك والجنة وما قرب إليهم من قول وعمل ونعوذ بك من صختك والنار وما قرب إليهم من قول وعمل اللهم ألهمنا مراشد أمورنا وعذنا من شرور أنفسنا اللهم إنا نسألك لسانا ذاكرا وقلبا خاشعا وعينا دامعا ونفسا مطعينة بك وبلقائك اللهم قنعنا بما رزقتنا اللهم إنا نسألك يا الله من اللهم إنا نسألك التقوى والتقى والعفاف والغنى اللهم إنا نسألك دوام العافية وتمام العافية والشكر على العافية اللهم إنا نسألك لسانا ذاكرا وقلبا خاشعا وعينا دامعا ونفسا وإنا تنبك بلقائك اللهم إنا نسألك عينين هطالتين تسقيان القلب بالظروف الدمع من خشيتك قبل أن تكون الدموع دما والأضرات جمرة اللهم رزقنا تلاوة القرآن على الوجه الذي يرضيك عنا اللهم آنس وحشتنا في قبورنا اللهم ذكرنا منه ما نسينا وعلمنا منه ما جهلنا وجعلنا ورزقنا تلاوته آناء الليل وآناء النهار على الوجه الذي يرضيك عنا اللهم إنا نسألك من, 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 من كل ما تحب وترضى اللهم يا حي يا قيوم we ask you, Allah, to accept our fast, accept our dhikr, accept our dua, accept our majalis of khair and goodness. Oh, Allah, we ask you to accept anything good we heard, anything good we shared, anything good we practiced, anything good we encouraged others to do so. Oh, Allah, we ask you to accept our charity, accept our sadaqah, our zakat. Oh, Allah, we ask you to accept anything we have given for suhoor or iftar to anyone else. Any way we have fed anyone in this month, any poor individuals, yatama, masakin that we've assisted. Oh, Allah, anywhere here or anywhere in the world. Oh, Allah, small or large actions that we have done we ask you to grant us all ikhlas and insincerity in it oh Allah we ask you Allah to beg we beg you for sincerity we beg you for sincerity we beg you for sincerity ya Allah oh Allah save us from ever regarding ourselves as sincere ya Allah oh Allah we ask you Allah to grant us a life filled with sunnah oh Allah allow our uh, from beginning to end every aspect of our life to be a reflection of the Rasulullah's lifestyle ya Allah oh Allah we ask you to allow us to be filled with love for you, love for the deen, love for the Qur'an, love for the sunnah, love for the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi love for the sahaba, love for the pious of the past and the pious of today. O Allah, allow this love to make us from amongst those who follow the footsteps of the beloved ones, Ya Allah. O Allah, we ask you to grant us a heart that is filled with your uh, reverence, Ya Allah, a, a tongue that is moist with your remembrance, Ya Allah, eyes that shed with te- tears, Ya Allah, out of fear and love for you, Ya Allah. O Allah, allow every limb of ours to be, Ya Allah, in constant dhikr of you, Ya Allah. O Allah, <coughs> we ask you, Allah, those brothers who are sinning for Sunnah Atikaf here. And those brothers and sisters who are sitting for Sunnah and sisters who are sitting in Sunnah Atikaf at home. And brothers and sisters who are sitting in Nafil Atikaf, Ya Allah as well. O Allah, we ask you to grant them all the ability to utilize this time in the most productive manner in the very best possible manner, Ya Allah. Accept their intentions. Allow us all to achieve more than that we are expected, more than we have expected to, more than we intended to, Ya Allah. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Azzati Amma Sifun. Wa Salaamun Ala Al Mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ameen.